All right, Judges chapter 18 tonight. Judges chapter 18. Um, we're going to see some really interesting things in this chapter. First off, this chapter, it's, it's just an interesting story. It's a good story. There's a lot of good life application you can make out of it. But um, more importantly, what, I, what we're going to do in this message, um, we're going to connect some things in the Bible that, um, you know, you're not just going to accidentally connect. You know, it's just some, this is a reminder of why it's so important to study. But there are a lot of questions that often come up that people will bring up. For example, have you ever heard people, they'll talk, they'll tell you, they'll mention a horrible story in the Bible and then they'll act like God was okay with it. You know, for example, how, you know, the kings had multiple wives. And it's like, because the Bible does not explicitly say God got really angry about this, people think God wasn't really angry about it. And they'll see some of these other stories where it just, all it is doing is it's telling us what happened. It's not giving us permission to do these things. It's just telling us what happened. But in these stories, it doesn't always tell us how God felt about it. And this is another one of those examples. Last week, we talked about Micah. And we talked about how he made a graven image, how he consecrated his son as a priest. But then a Levite comes along and he just hires him as his own priest. And I talk, and I was telling everybody how horrible this was. And, you know, and as I was like expressing how horrible it was, you know, you kind of feel like sometimes it's like, I'm not really proving how horrible this was because the text doesn't tell us how horrible it was. And so it was one of those deals where I felt like I got to, I got to figure out how to prove how bad this is. Same thing here in chapter 18. What we are about to see in chapter 18 is really, really, really bad. And you know what? While Judges 18 does not tell us how God felt about it, I found out, I never caught this before, there is a place in the Bible that tells us exactly how God felt about it. And guess what? It made God more upset than I even realized. In fact, one of the bad stories that we see later on in 1 Samuel was a result of what happened here in Judges chapter 17 and 18. In fact, the title I did tonight is What Made God Greatly Abhor Israel. This actually made God abhor Israel. We do not see that from the book of Judges. But what, what is going on here was so bad, God abhorred Israel. That's a strong word right there. God abhorred Israel for this. And so, um, all that stuff I was doing, trying to make it a big deal, I was right. And turns out God was more upset than I thought as we studied. And so, we're going to see that as we connect some things in the Bible that ho- uh, hopefully will help you uh, just understand a few things. So again, last week, Micah made an idol. He broke all the rules. He thought he, had spe- he was going to have special favor with God because he had a Levite. You know, he kind of, you know, as a Jewish man, he used a Levite as a good luck charm the way a lot of Christians use Jews as good luck charms today. They're always looking for a Jew to bless so they can, you know, get special favor with God. And that's a bunch of foolishness, but um, we see the same kind of thing going on back then. He thought the Levite, with the Levite, he'd be doing better. But this was a blatant disregard for the things of God. And we're going to see too, specifically the tribe that's about to sin big time is the tribe of of Dan. And so in verse 1, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. And in those days the tribe of the Danites sought them an inheritance to, to dwell in, 
For unto the day of all their inheritance had not fallen unto them among the tribes of Israel. And in the book of Joshua, it mentions them getting their inheritance, but it also tells us how it was too small for them at first. So they went and they took another area later. So this story that we're looking at right now, we're actually probably going backwards in time. This was, this was probably before Samson. Uh, we, you, one can only guess or speculate, but uh, we are probably going backwards in time. And again, this story is in here because the book of Judges is chronicling the wickedness of Israel. It is explaining why they got a lot of the judgment that they, that they received. And so, um, and again, and it mentions there was no king. It's just explaining why things were so bad during that time. Because this is a terrible story that we're about to see. Verse 2, And the children of Dan sent out of their family five men from their coast, men of valor from Zorah and from Eshtel, to spy out the land and to search it. And they said unto them, Go search the land, who when they came to Mount Ephraim to the house of Micah, they lodged there. And when they were by the house of Micah, they knew the voice of the young man, the Levite, and they turned in thither and said unto him, Who brought thee hither? And what makest thou in this place? And what hast thou here? And he said unto them, Thus and thus dealeth Micah with me, and hath hired me, and I am his priest. So these guys, they hear Micah talk, and they're like, Hey, we know that voice. You know, because these guys, they had been going to Shiloh, which is where the tabernacle was during that time. And so they knew who this guy was, and they, they're like, what is, what's, what's he doing here? And after this Levite explains it to them, the truth is, if the Danites would have been serious about the things of God, they would have called them out for this. They'd have been like, you can't do that. You're supposed to serve the Lord at the tabernacle. You, you can't just have one guy go hire his own priest like that. That's not how this works. You know, you can't have an ephod and a teraphim and, and a, this graven image. You can't do that kind of thing. That is forbidden in the law of God. I mean, this should have got Micah in a lot of trouble with the Danites. But no, that is not what happened at all because the Danites were very backwards themselves. They were probably, uh, I mean, they, they were a pretty rough tribe. And so it says, And they said unto him, As counsel we pray thee of God, that we may know whether our way which we go shall be prosperous. And the priest said unto them, Go in peace before the Lord is your way wherein ye go. So the Danites are like, all right, we got a Levite. Let's find out if the Lord is going to be with us on this endeavor. And so we're going to see the Danites are going to succeed in this battle. But I don't think this Levite had any special revelation. I think he was just telling them what they wanted to hear. Because that's the kind of guy this Levite is. And we're going to see that. But again... When we, when we look at the description of these people that they conquered, again, you know, maybe the Levite was familiar with who they were going to go up against. It's like, yeah, it's going to be a piece of cake. It didn't even take a special revelation from God. You know, there's just some, you know, some things are just common sense. Who's going to win? So verse 7 says, And the five men departed and came to Laish, and saw the people that were therein, how they dwelt careless after the manner of the Zidonians, quiet and secure. And there was no magistrate in the land that might put them to shame in anything, and they were far from the Zidonians and had no business with any man. So this is just another wicked group. This is a group they have no magistrate, nobody to put them to shame in anything, nobody enforcing anything. So these are just a lawless group of good-for-nothings. They're not, it's not going to be a problem defeating them. So the Danites are going to win, not because of a miracle of God or favor of God, just because this was 
an easy group to defeat. And so it says, And they came to their brethren, to Zorah and Eshtel, and their brethren said unto them, What say ye? And they said, Arise, that we may go up against them, for we have seen the land, and behold, it is very good. And are ye still? Be not slothful to go and enter to possess the land. When ye go, ye shall come unto a people secure and to a large land, for God hath given it unto your hands, a place where there is no want of anything that is in the earth. And so just kind of a side note, um, very little is said about the tribe of Dan after this story. In fact, the only uh, references we really have are one when it's referring, uh, talking about David's army and it mentions like a certain number that were Danites. That's about it. In, uh, in Revelation, when it's going through the 144,000, there is no tribe of Dan. And so I, I don't know, it's, it's only my opinion, but I really do think it's possible that what they do in this story, it kind of got them disowned, you could say, uh, from God. So um, we don't see the Danites mentioned uh, in uh, one of the 144,000. So I don't know, but that's just uh, opinion, speculation. I do think the tribe of Dan, I think their name is like on the foundations or on the gates in the New Jerusalem. So uh, I could be wrong on that. You'll have to fact check me. But verse 11 says, And there went from thence of the family of the Danites out of Zorah and out of Eshtel 600 men appointed with weapons of war. And they went up and pitched in Kirjath-Jerim in Judah before they called that place uh, Mahanadan unto this day. Behold, it is behind Kirjath-Jerim. And they passed thence unto Mount Ephraim and came to the house of of Micah, uh, and then answered the five men that went to spy out the country of Laish, and said unto them, Brethren, do ye know that there is in these houses an ephod, a teraphim, and a graven image, and a molten image? Now therefore consider what ye have to do. So while they're on their way back to that land that they're going to take, that was uh, in the far north, and that's another thing too, you will see if you like do a word search for Dan, you'll see it mentioned several times after this in the Bible, because they'll, they'll always reference even from Dan, even to Beersheba. And they'll say that because Dan was the far North and then Beersheba was the far South. And it was just basically saying through the whole land is what it was doing. So, um, kind of like, you know, we say from Atlantic to Pacific, it's just a way of saying across the whole country. So, uh, that, that's where you will see that name mentioned a lot, but, um, so while they're going back, they see Micah's house and they're mentioning, hey, you know what? There's a bunch of stuff that they've got in this house. They've got an ephod and a teraphim. They've got this graven image that's made out of a bunch of silver. And, you know, they should have been brought, they should have brought this up so they could get rid of it. Hey, well, there's 600 of us now. You know what? Let's force Micah to destroy this so we don't bring a curse upon our nation. But that's not what they did. And we'll see what they did in verse 15. And they turned into the wood and came to the house of the young man, the Levite, even unto the house of Micah, and saluted him. And the six hundred men appointed with weapons of war, which were of the children of Dan, stood by the entering of the gate. And the five men that went to spy out the land went up and came in thither and took the graven image and the ephod and the teraphim and the molten image. And the priest stood in the entering of the gate with the six hundred men that were appointed with weapons of war. And these went into Micah's house and fetched the carved image, the ephod, and the teraphim, 
and the molten image. Then said the priest unto them, What do ye? And they said unto him, Hold thy peace. Lay thy hand upon thy mouth and go with us and be unto us a father and a priest. It is better for thee to be a priest unto the house of one man or than thou be a priest unto a tribe and a family in Israel. And the priest's heart was glad and he took the ephod and the teraphim and the graven image and went into the midst of the people. And I've done it before, but right now this just makes me want to rip on hirelings. It, hirelings. The Bible talks about hirelings. I have to take a little bit of time to point this out because, again, this guy, he's a Levite. Okay? He was born you know, into the tribe of Levi. He was somebody who was supposed to be a servant of God, who was supposed to serve in the tabernacle. You know, He had the necessary qualifications of that time. However, he had violated what he was supposed to do and should have been put to death for the kind of stuff that he was doing. But just understand that there are, there are a lot of men out there who have received ordinations, who have been put in positions and put over churches. But let me tell you, they are hirelings. And the Bible warns us about these people. And notice what these guys said. They're like, you know what? We'd like to have a priest. We'd like to have that idol. Let's just go steal Micah's. And notice the first thing. When the priest sees what they're doing is they're just going and taking everything. Hey, what are you guys doing? What do they say? Hold your peace. Put your hand over your mouth. And you know what? That's what hirelings do. They'll let deacon boards tell them, don't you preach on this subject. You know, don't you, you know, they'll, you know, we want you to be our pastor, but put your hand over your mouth. Hold your peace. Don't talk about anything controversial. You know, just get up and say fun, flowery things. You know, I, I don't listen to a, hardly any preaching that is not like IFB. And, what, and even when it comes to IFB, I'm talking about like, you know, good IFB. And I, I listened to a sermon today. Uh, uh, it was it was one on prophecy. And it was just one of the weakest things I've ever heard. I mean, this soy boy just gets up there. And I'm waiting for him to hear him talk about prophecy. And this guy, he's right on a lot of stuff. And I thought maybe he'd be right on prophecy. And, of course, you know, he put it, put it out there right at the beginning. You know, pre-trib, the whole nine yards, which is fine. But he just got up there and just cracked jokes, just said pleasantries for like 20 minutes. I mean, he's just basically trying to give these people a feel-good session. No Bible. And he preached for like an hour. And like 20 minutes was just him talking about nonsense. Just, you know, cutting up, joking around. And it was just, and it was just the weakest message I've ever heard in my life. Or heard in a long time. And, I'm just, and I just, I, find, I gave up. I just, I gave up. I couldn't handle it anymore. It was just, it was just making me angry. But you know, when I'm, when I was listening to that guy, I'm like, this guy is a hireling. You know, he's, I mean, this, without a doubt, this guy has just been placed in this church. It's, it's a, it was a larger church. They've obviously just placed him there. You know, he's been hired by this church and you can tell those guys they did. They got hired by a deacon board. They got hired by some pulpit committee and there is no way they're going to, he's going to ruffle any feathers because he'll lose his livelihood if he does. They'll take away his job so fast. And let me tell you, a true man of God is not going to put his hand on his mouth. A true man of God is not going to hold his peace. And that's what this Levite should have done. He should have said something, but no, he doesn't do it. A true man of God, he's going to tell you to follow him. He's not going to follow the crowd. 
I mean, this guy, he's supposed to be the spiritual leader, but what's the mob doing? Hey, you come and you know, you do the work of a priest for us. You come and do what we tell you to do. But that, and a true man of God had been like, you know what? Forget it. Not happening. But he was not a true man of God. A true man of God is not going to be all about the numbers. He's going to be about the will of God. What did they say? What's better? Being a priest for one family or for a whole tribe? And, but you know, the truth is, you know, neither were God's will. But what did he do? Okay, yeah. And, and that's how it is. When people are not legit, when they're not doing God's will, then it's going to be about the numbers. It's going to be about who's paying the most. It's going to be about whatever benefits them most. That's what a hireling does. Okay? Listen, I've worked some jobs before where I was literally a hireling. I mean, if I wasn't getting paid, I wouldn't have been doing it. I mean, I, I, you know, that's, and that's the thing. I think I've proved pastoring. I'll do it with or without pay. And, uh, and, but, uh, cause this is a calling on my life. But you know, other jobs that I've worked, they quit paying me. I quit. You know, I, I'm not, I'm not doing it without the pay. And you know, uh, but there's, there's a lot of that out there. It's not right. And there's always going to be men out there who will tell you exactly what you want to hear. If you don't like you, what you hear from this pulpit, you can always find someone out there who preaches what exactly what you think, you know, cause, and thankfully for you, we have the internet where you can find those people. You can find somebody who thinks like you, no matter how weird and bizarre your beliefs are, somebody out there is going to agree with you on something. Okay? And you know, one thing I've learned over the last several years since we've been on YouTube one of the bad things about like having a, a platform and having like things that are different or unique about you is sometimes you attract crazies who only care about that one thing. And it's just like, no, you know, that, that's not good. You know, we've, I've, I've talked about the people who came here just because of our eschatology, just because we were against the Jews. And it's just like, man, there's so much more to us than that. There's so much more. There's so many more important things than our eschatology. It's just, I, just, I can't imagine going to a church because you like their eschatology and you don't agree with their salvation message. That, you know how weird that is? You know, imagine going to a church like ours. And we've, we've had people come to our church here too who, um, I mean, I, I know they only came because they liked that we were old-fashioned. They liked our music. And they even, and some of them, even they just liked me, but then they didn't even really agree on like eternal security and stuff like that. It's just like, why are you here? You know, I would hope eternal security, you know, doctrines like eternal security is more important than just liking the pastor. But a lot of people will go because they like the pastor. That's, that's messed up priorities right there. That is not right, but that's the way it is in a lot of places. And so there, um, but there's all, there's always going to be people out there that will tell you what you want to hear. There's always going to be men out there who will gladly represent a cause as long as they're being paid. Listen, I do not trust a lot of these, uh, like, is it Tulsi Gabbard who, you know, was a Democrat, but they've just gone too liberal for her. And, you know, now she's like promoting all these Republican things and Republicans love her because, oh, look. A Democrat, you know, who's agrees with us and they like to, you know, platform people like that. They like to show people like that. You know, they're always, 
you know, you can always find the conservative black guy. You know, all the news networks wants that conservative black guy, you know, just so they can prove that, hey, not all black people are liberals. You know, they're always getting that token female, the token black guy, the token whatever. You can always find those people out there. And it's like, do these people actually even have these positions? Or was there just a job opening for a conservative black guy? You know, and they're like, hey, you know what? I'll talk good about the Republicans if you pay me enough. And I'm telling that's how a lot of these people are. And you, you can't trust them. You really can't. And they are in churches too. That they've been around enough. They know what they're supposed to say about the King James Bible. They know what they're supposed to say about eschatology or they know what they're supposed to say about whatever the doctrine is, but they don't really mean it. They just got hired to have that position. Well, pastor, you know, if you're going to be a part of this church, you know, we've got a great uh, salary and benefits package and all that. But, you know, here's our doctrinal statement and um, you better stick with it. And hey, if you agree with the doctrinal statement, go for it. But a lot of these guys, I'm telling you, they don't. They don't mean it. There's a preacher I know. He's in heaven now. He, he told this story about a preacher he knew one time that they used to make fun of him because he was this real goofball showboat. Nobody really liked him. So they prank called him one time and pretending they were this big church wanting him to come preach a youth meeting. And so uh, they called him up, said they were from this church, wanted to preach. Like, oh, yeah, no, I'd, I'd definitely be able to. I'd love to do that. It's like, hey, he's like, that's fine. We just need to check a couple things on your doctrine. And so they asked, you know, they asked him a few things. But then they asked him, so they asked him what his position was in eternal security. <laughs> and he said, brother, I can preach it any way you want. <laughs> that, was, that was his response. And, and there's people out there, if they're in a church that believes eternal security, remember the repentance guy that we all heard that one time who literally preached every form of repentance that he could until he finally got to the one he could tell the crowd agreed with? What was going hey, I don't even think that guy knows what he believes. He just started repeating stuff that he's heard and then he finally got it right and got some amens out of people and then he just kind of stuck with that one. These people are hirelings and they are all over in churches and they always end up making us look, people like us who actually believe what we teach, they always end up making us look bad because then they start getting courted by another group somewhere. Hey, we'll let you in our fellowship, but you've got to dump this one doctrine. And then they're the token guy who dumped eternal security or whatever. I used to be one of them, once saved, always saved Baptist. But then, you know, I saw the truth in my ESV. You know, I saw, I saw the truth or whatever. And then they just go and start barfing all the talking points of their new group. Folks, these people are everywhere. They have always been around. And you, you think this Levite had any convictions? No. But he got hired, he had a job, he had some security, and so he took it. And these people are standing in pulpits all over this country, preaching right now. And let me tell you, that kind of thing makes me sick. And it ought to make everybody sick. And let me, I have more respect for people who I disagree with, but yet I know they're preaching from conviction. I do. And there's guys, I, I do, I... I disagree with them on eschatology, but I am convinced that they believe it, that it's their conviction. And then there's other guys, I think they're just scared. There are, there's some guys, it's like, I, you know, I think you do know the truth. I think you're just scared to preach the truth in the subject. I don't have any respect for people like that. I've got, you know, I, I'm, I'm thankful for 
a lot, you know, a lot of the King James only brethren out there, but some of them, I don't even think they really mean it. I think they're just doing it because that's the club they're in right now. And uh, watch out for these people. So the, these men, at the end of the day, they will never accomplish anything good in your life. And this Levite was someone who never should have been given the position that he had, but because he had a title, because he had some nice things, he managed to get a following. And But all this man was was a tool to help the Danites destroy themselves. And these hireling preachers, they will destroy their congregations. And you know what? The congregations are not innocent. The Danites were not innocent. This, the Danites wanted a guy with a spaghetti noodle spine. And let me tell you, these churches out there getting led off a cliff by these hirelings, that's what they wanted. That's what they asked for. That's what they required in their church. And so, you know, you can't really blame this guy for what's going to happen to Dan. Dan did this to themselves. And so you can't, you know, again, while it's okay for us to be merciful to the Catholics, you know, it's not all the priest's fault. You know, they, they could figure out the truth if they put in a little bit of effort. Okay, obviously that priest is bad and is going to be held accountable, just like this Levite was. But at the end of the day, the victims are not innocent either. They are not innocent. And so you, you almost can't really blame, uh, you know, the, you know, you know, like like Osteen and Kenneth Copeland. You can't, can you really blame those guys for all the people they're supposedly leading to hell? I think it's those people's fault. You can't see through that? I don't think you're trying to see. I don't think you're looking. If you can't see through Joel Osteen, you can't see through Kenneth Copeland, who looks like he's demon-possessed half the time, I don't think you're looking. So again, don't get me wrong. I'm mad at those guys, and they're going to answer to God for what they've done, but the people are not in us all innocent that they are leading astray. They're asking for that. And so we need to, you know, under, you know, we can still be merciful and try to reach their, you know, their victims and their audience, but they're not completely innocent. So verse 21, so they turned and departed and put the little ones and the cattle and the carriage before them. And when they were a good way from the house of Micah, the man that were in the houses near to Micah's house were gathered together and overtook the children of Dan. And they cried unto the children of Dan, and they turned their faces and said unto Micah, What aileth thee that thou comest with such a company? And he said, Ye have taken away my gods which I made, and the priests, and ye are gone away, and what have I more? And what is this that ye say unto me? What aileth thee? And the children of Dan said unto him, Let not thy voice be heard among us, lest angry fellows run upon thee, and thou lose thy life with the lives of thy household. And the children of Dan went their way. And when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned and went back into his house. And notice, Micah didn't have any conviction about his God. You know, what? the truth is, if Micah really was a truly sincere guy, you know, he would have fought for his God. And he would have died rather than let them take it. But you know what? Again, most of these Osteen followers, Copeland followers, do they, these people have any conviction? No. As soon as somebody comes along who smiles bigger than Joel Osteen and has puts on better entertainment, they'll go follow that guy. And I don't the Copeland crowd. I, again, I don't know who's giving him money. Who are these people? Okay, you know who get? I mean, that guy's got his own airport for crying out loud. Who who's giving him money? But somebody's doing it. But either either way, uh, those people they've got they've got a lot to answer for. So it says. 
Um, well, turn over to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 34. So Micah had no conviction, and that is how people are in false religions. And Israel, they did. They got in a lot of trouble for this type of thing of letting bad shepherds uh, rule over them. And it says in Ezekiel 34 two, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds, Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? Ye eat the fat, and ye clothe you with the wool. Ye kill them that are fed, but ye feed not the flock. The diseased have ye not strengthened, neither have ye healed them that were sick. Neither have ye bound up that which was broken, neither have ye brought again that which was driven away, neither have ye sought that which was lost, but with force and with cruelty have ye ruled them. So this is years later, but this is the kind of thing that was going on in Israel. And you know why this kind of thing went on in Israel? Because it's what the people let happen. It's what the people wanted. And they didn't, if they'd have had people, shepherds over them who had conviction, they would have been all over the people of Israel. But you know what? The shepherd's like, you know what? I'll let you have your sin as long as you let me have my sin. Hey, as long as you keep me fat, as long as you let me have the stuff that I want, I'll say whatever you want. Or I won't say the things you don't want me to say. And that's why in all these churches out there, you never hear them preaching against anything. Because, hey, as long as they're getting fat off the people, as long as they're getting rich from the people, then you know what? Yeah, we'll ignore these things. Yeah, I won't talk about homosexuality. I won't talk about fornication. I won't talk about shacking up. I won't talk about divorce and remarriage. I won't talk about that stuff as long as y'all just keep, keep the money coming. And these people do. They just get rich off this stuff. And folks, that's wrong. That's cruel. That's a terrible thing to do to people. People need to hear the truth. Jesus talked about people like this. In John 10, 9, it says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd whose own sheep are not seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep, and have known of mine. So Jesus explained the, higher, the difference between a hireling and an actual shepherd. And Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I came to take care of the sheep. The hireling, he doesn't care about the sheep. And a, a pastor who will not preach the whole counsel of God, who will not preach the truth about sin, does not care about the sheep. Amen. Part of being a pastor and actually caring for the sheep is you're going to have to say things and do things that make people mad sometimes. Amen. And you know, you do you think I like having you know there, there's you know some of the conversations I have to have, man, it stinks. I love preaching, but I don't always like pastoring. It's very uncomfortable sometimes when you have to tell people stuff and you have to confront people on things and, and deal with issues. And I will say this too, sometimes I don't enjoy preaching because it's like part of the pastoring, you got to deal with certain issues and subjects and it's like, you know, this message isn't going to make me any more popular. And listen, do you think I like being disliked? 
No, I mean, we, with all those enemies we've got out there, you know, we've got all the atheists and stuff that hate us and stuff. You know, that's bad enough. The last thing I ever want is like church members, you know, hating on me too. But it's like sometimes you just got to preach stuff. And you know, you know, we, you know, we've been blessed over the years. I remember when we started the church. I remember uh, there were there was I did a whole series of messages where I'm just like, you know what? I need to make sure I establish early certain things that are probably going to be controversial, that things probably aren't going to that people might not like. It's like I can either fight the battle now or earlier, or I can fight it later when there's going to be a lot more a lot more to lose. And I remember, I think it was six different messages I had, and that I was going to do six weeks in a row. And I remember I kind of saved some of the rougher ones for last. But I remember like with like with each one, I remember they they were going over really well. I mean, all those messages I got and I preached. And I preached with conviction. I, and I remember just thinking every time, I'm going to lose these people. I'm going to lose these people. I wasn't trying to get rid of them. I didn't want to get rid of them. But you know what? I remember it went over really well. I mean, everybody received it real good. And I was just like, hey, maybe these people want to hear the truth. And, and it was encouraging. And I was glad because they were going to get it one, either way. But, you know, it's nice when people want the truth. It's nice when people can take it. But either way, you know, pastors have a responsibility and when they don't, just mark it down. It's because they care about themselves. They do not care about the sheep. So verse 27 of Judges 18. And they took the things that Micah had made and the priests which he had and came into Laish unto a people that were quiet and secure. And they smote them with the edge of the sword and burnt the city with fire. And there was no deliverer because it was far from Zidon. And they had no business with any man. And it was in the valley that lieth by Beth Rehob. And they built the city and dwelt therein. And they called the name of the city Dan after the name of Dan their father, who was born unto Israel, howbeit the name of that uh, city was Laish at first. And so this isn't any great victory, but they probably acted like it was. Like, hey, you know what? God's on our side. It's because we have this Levite for a priest for ourselves. But no, they just beat him because they were going up against a very weak, sorry people. That was the only reason they won. So verse 30, the children of Dan set up the graven image. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Manasseh, he and his sons were priests to the tribe of Dan until the day of the captivity of the land. And they set up Micah's graven image, which he made, all the time that the house of God was in Shiloh. Hey, now folks, when you read this, where do we see God's how God feels about it? We don't. It does not say. And this is terrible what they did. They go and possess this land. And the first thing they do is set up an idol. And notice too, it says it was there until the captivity of the land. And this is how I was able to figure out how God felt about it. Because I'm like, wait, till the captivity. So I was like, does this mean I was right? That Judges was written way in the future after they went into captivity? And I, I, I read some different things on this. And there were two different schools of thought out there. One that was, they were saying basically that idol was there until the Assyrian captivity because the northern kingdom got taken first. And so I thought, well, that kind of proves this was way later. But then I was like, that idol remained that there that long. None of the good kings got rid of that idol. That was just kind of hard for me to believe. But I couldn't figure out when the captivity uh, would have been. 
And then I finally uh, figured out where it was. Uh, and uh, we're gonna, but we're going to go to Psalm 78 in a little bit. Psalm 78 is where we find out exactly how God felt about what took place here. But before we read Psalms chapter 78, um, you know, we need to uh, just point out a few things to understand the history of Shiloh. Because notice it mentions how they set up Micah's graven image, which he made all the time that the house of God was in Shiloh. And so right there is actually where it dates how long it was for us. And it was not until the Assyrian captivity. It actually uh, was, was much sooner. But uh, first off, Shiloh. Okay, we forget about the fact that the, ta- the tabernacle originally after Joshua came to the land, in Joshua 18, it says, And the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of the congregation there, and the land was subdued before them. Shiloh is about, I think, about 30 miles north of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was not taken until the time of David. And it was during David's time that was taken. And then later they had the uh, tabernacle there, and they ended up building the temple on the threshing floor of Ornan and the Jebusite. But before uh, you know, Jerusalem became the place, Shiloh is where the tabernacle was, it was where the Levites were. It was where they did all the sacrifices and everything. Shiloh is where the tabernacle was when Samuel was a child. Remember how Samuel served in the temple with Eli uh, when, when Eli was the high priest. In 1 Samuel 1, 3, it says, And this man went up out of the city yearly to worship and to sacrifice the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And so we're not going to read the whole story, but in 1 Samuel 4, we see the story about how the Philistines fought Israel and ended up... Remember, they took the Ark of God. They actually took the Ark of the Covenant and they killed Hophni and Phinehas. And if you remember that story, you know, Eli found out about it, fell backwards, broke his neck, and died. And God judged the house of Eli during that time because of all the wickedness that they were doing. But not only was God judging Eli and his house, God was judging Israel because of their idolatry that took place here in Judges chapter 18. That whole story where God uh, allowed the Philistines to come and do their thing was judgment because of what happened here in Judges chapter 18. Now, just from reading Judges and then 1 Samuel, you're going to have a tough time coming to that conclusion. But, We can actually figure that out in Psalm 78. Look what it says in verse 53. And it says, And he led them on safely, so that they feared not, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies. So that's referring to the Exodus and when they crossed the Red Sea. It's kind of giving some history. And he brought them into the border of his sanctuary, even to this mountain, which his right hand purchased. He cast out the heathen also before them, and divided them in inheritance by line, and made the tribes of Israel to dwell in their tents. That happened during the time of Joshua. Um, yet, they tempted and provoked the Most High God and kept not His testimonies. This is referring to the time of Judges. But turned back and dealt unfaithfully like their fathers. They were turned aside like a deceitful boat. For they provoked Him to anger with their high places and moved him to jealousy with their graven images. When God heard this, he was wroth and greatly 
abhorred Israel. This is referring to what happened in the time of Judges. Because in the time of Judges, this is where we see, we see that uh, the reference to Gideon's family and their idols and things that they had. But yet, when you look at it, it doesn't seem like God's that mad about it. I mean, because God's using Gideon to defeat all these enemies. And so when, you, when, you, when you're reading Judges and you're seeing these references to idolatry, when you're seeing the high places in Gideon's family, it's like, oh, it doesn't seem like God cares that much. God did care a lot. When you read this story in Judges 18, oh man, the Danites, they won their battle. God must not really cared that much about the idolatry that they did. No, God cared a lot. All these references that we have seen to idolatry in the book of Judges, Psalm 78 is talking about it. And it says, when God heard this, talking about the idols that we've seen, specifically in the time of Judges, it says, he greatly abhorred Israel. Think about that. These are his chosen people. And it says, God greatly abhorred Israel. God abhorred this nation. It made him sick what these people were doing. And notice, and so what did God do as a result of his uh, anger at them and his disgust for them in allowing these graven images? It says, so that he forsook the tabernacle of Shiloh, the tent which he had placed among men, and delivered his strength into captivity. So that's the captivity right there that Judges 18 is referring to in Judges 18, um, 30, when it says, and his sons were priests of the tribe of Dan until the day of the captivity of the land. That is a reference to when the Philistines came and took over that land and took the ark. And it says, and delivered his strength into captivity and his glory into the enemy's hands. He gave his people over also unto the sword and was wroth with his inheritance. The fire consumed their young men and their maidens were not given to marriage. Their priests fell by the sword, as Hophni and Phinehas, and their widows made no lamentation. Then the Lord awaked as one out of sleep and like a mighty man that shouted by reason of wine and he smote his enemies in the hinder parts he put them to a perpetual reproach. Because remember, that was how they got the ark back. God ended up smiting the Philistines with hemorrhoids or hemorrhoids. And they hated it so much. They're like, you know what? Let's give the ark back. And they did. They ended up giving the ark back. It says, moreover, he refused the tabernacle of Joseph and chose not the tribe of Ephraim, but chose the tribe of Judah and Mount Zion, which he loved. And he built his sanctuary like high palaces, like the earth which he had established forever, he chose David also his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. And so then right there, it kind of shows the transition to the kings and the transition from the tabernacle being in Shiloh to the house of God being on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. So uh, um, you know, even the moving of the house of God, that was kind of some of the judgment because of it, what had gone on during that time with their idolatry and everything. Now, we know that during the time of kings, they ended up messing up again. And there's a whole bunch of prophecies calling out all that stuff. But the thing that I want you to get from this that's so important because is this helps us in just kind of understanding how to interpret some things in the Bible. When we just read these historical books, it doesn't always tell us God's feelings on these things. But it's not hard 
to figure out what God felt like when you, when you read other passages where it describes how he felt about those things. So never, never, you know, read these stories and just think people are getting away with stuff. You know, God obviously didn't care because God used Gideon. No, God hated what they were doing and they suffered as a result of what we were doing. And what's interesting about this psalm, it reveals to us something the book of Judges does not reveal. And that is exactly how God felt about what happened. All this stuff that we've been reading in the book of Judges, one bad story after another, you know what, you know what we learn from it? God abhorred Israel. This, the time of Judges was one of the most horrible times, time periods that Israel had. It was horrible, some of the terrible sins that took place. Um, next week, we are going to see just another horrible thing that took place. And let me tell you, Judges 19 does not go into great detail about how God felt about what took place. But folks, I think it's safe to say God was greatly disgusted with with what took place there and it's important that we remember that we remember these things and we need to understand too that a lot of the judgment we've talked about this for these sins came much later and it was severe and that is why we never ever ever want to make the mistake of thinking because god's still blessing in some area because you know we're not getting struck by lightning bolts that god doesn't care when we're sinning, and especially when we know we're sinning. No, God cares. God's just, get, he's probably just giving you space to repent. And you better take advantage of that and repent as fast as you possibly can. So we always need to remember that about these historical books. They're just telling us what happened. It's not condoning anything. God is not condoning multiple marriages when we see David getting a bunch of wives. God's not condoning that kind of thing. The fact that God still used David after he committed adultery, it's not God condoning anything. God's not, God, God definitely didn't condone that. God, just because God blessed Solomon, even though he had all those wise things, God's not condoning that. That was his downfall. And the Bible even talks about that later, about how like outlandish women, it caused Solomon to fall and to do a lot of horrible things that displeased God. God ended up splitting the kingdom because of that. A lot of the problems that Israel had were a result of things that Solomon did. Wrong. So, um, just because a passage doesn't tell us how God feels in his particular story, it doesn't mean we can't figure it out by seeing what God says about those sins in other places in the Bible. And we see when God said, you know, he, you know for example, you know, God, God hates putting away. God hates that kind of thing. You know, people look, well, you know, there's a, there's an allowance for, for divorce in the Bible. Yeah, but God hates it. So why are you going to justify it? Because there's a lot, God hates it. You know, do we, do we not care about how God feels about something? We, we, God told it, he explicitly told us how he felt. And let me tell you, God hates idolatry. Well, I don't see Catholic churches getting struck by lightning. They don't have to. God hates that idolatry. And those people that are following stuff are going to go to hell. Because of their, of their rejection of Christ. They're, they're going to suffer for these things. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're not getting blown up in America yet. But you know what? God says homosexuality is an abomination. So you know what? We know God hates the things that go. We know God hates the shedding of innocent blood. God hates abortion. And we are going to get in trouble. 
I'm not seeing a word from God about you know what he thinks about the state of America right now. Uh, we haven't gotten any new word or new updates, but we can figure out how God feels about what's going on in our country by looking at what he says in the Bible. And one of these days, the reckoning's coming. One of these days, it's coming. And just because right now we're not hearing a voice from God explaining that thing to us, we have the voice of God right here and we can figure out what it is. And so with that, let's close the word of prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for this chapter. I thank you for uh, the, Psalm 78, Lord, that helps just clarify a lot of things for us so we can have uh, a full understanding of how you felt. And Lord, I pray you'll help us to study your word and to have a desire to learn how you feel about things and that we'll uh, do our best to not grieve you and uh, upset you. Lord, with sin, help us to, uh, whenever we do sin, to not let your grace and the fact you're giving us a chance to repent uh, embolden us to continue that sin. But I pray help us to repent of it just as as soon as possible uh, so we can avoid judgment. In your name we pray. Amen.